it's good to have our friends and uh, colleagues with us today. Brother and Sister Grant, all the way from Wisconsin. Thank you, Brother Davis, and praise the Lord, everybody. Praise God. It is indeed a thrill to be here in this church. A year from last November, we were here, but we were for a minister's meeting. And so I was not privileged to meet all of you people. You know, you come into a place and you kind of take inventory of it and look around. And you wonder, who put all this together? Praise God. I have known your pastor for some time. And it was back in East Texas in the 50s. And I don't know what year it was, but it must have been mid-50s, somewhere along 54, 55. Brother Davis and his brother Cecil Davis picked my mother and all of her children up on a church bus and took us to a courthouse where we had services in the basement. And this was our introduction to the United Pentecostal Church. That time we were attending Assembly of God Church in a small community outside of Henderson. And I don't recall just how many services we did attend. It's been a, a long time. My my mother gave her heart to the Lord. My dad did not give his heart to the Lord. And so as a young teenager, I was not made to go to church. But uh, later on, Brother Davis and his brother Cecil went elsewhere. Brother Herbert Free, I think, took the church right after that. And I started attending regularly and did not give my heart to the Lord then either. And it wasn't until 1961, even though my mom was very, very faithful to the church, all those years that my dad and I at the same time gave our heart to the Lord. Praise God. So I went through my high school years. My wife that uh, addressed you a few moments ago was my high school sweetheart. And we went to school together. And I tried everything in the world to avoid being what I am today. I really mean that. And uh, <clears throat> it was in 1960, we had been married a couple of years, and uh, 1961, I gave my heart to the Lord. I, w- I was a very sick person. I developed a stomach ulcer, and I got real sick. And my wife had gone to a particular denominational church all of her life, and I went and talked to the pastor, and Then I went to church, and I went as a very sick man, and he preached a message. And he talked against divine healing and speaking in tongues and such. And so I listened to all of it. And he said, God has given us medical doctors and so forth and so on. And that's really all that we need. Uh, Unbeknown to him, however, there was a sister from that church who was rushed to the hospital with a very serious attack and one of the deacons of the church had taken her and he walked in just at the end of the service and he said this sister who's a charter member of this church had an attack just before church and I've been out the hospital and the doctors can't do anything and I'd like to call upon this church to go before God for divine assistance because The doctors say there is no hope. And it kind of put the the pastor on, you know, in kind of a bad position there. So he he had to do something with that, and so he he prayed for her healing. Now, I don't know what I would have done if I had been the pastor. But I got to thinking about all of it. And then we had a pastor by the name of Ennis Fuller who had come to be the pastor in Henderson, Texas. And I thought that I should go and talk with him about this. And Brother Ennis Fuller has a disposition. 
and a charisma about him, just like Brother Davis. He's a pretty easygoing, very logical man. And uh, he just sat down and he did not criticize this pastor. He didn't. He just simply sat down, sat me down, and said, "Let's look in the Word of God." And he said, "Now you you have this stomach ulcer and you're very sick, but God is a healer." I, well, I knew all those things anyway. I was just trying to avoid the truth. But on April 15, 1961, I gave my heart to God, and the Lord instantly healed me of that stomach ulcer. Praise God. Would you believe that I weighed less than 120 pounds? I really did. I had lost so much weight, and the Lord healed me, and I started gaining weight, and I gained, and I gained, and I gained. You know what? I'm still gaining. <laughs> oh, praise God. You are a beautiful bunch of people. I went to a church not too long ago, and I didn't see one pretty face. Everybody looked ugly. I mean, I mean, everybody in the church looked ugly. <clears throat> then I figured out what it was. They were not responding to God in worship. They were very unhappy people. And I'll tell you what, some places you go and you try your best to be a blessing. And other places you go and you say, look, there's no need even trying. These people are such a blessing. And your service today has been such a blessing to me. Really. I never know what to expect when I go places. I go places and teach, and nobody has their Bible. <laughs> really, I went one place, a large church, and I said, how many Bibles do you have? Two or three Bibles, that's all they had. And here I'm, I'm scheduled to teach. Well, I like people to follow along in the Bible when I'm teaching. And uh, I said, I'm going to miss Sunday morning service in Madison because our, we, our church is comprised mostly of young married couples. We have a lot of young married couples. And uh, I caught myself this morning, though, caught up in this service, not even thinking about, you know, what's happening in Madison. Praise God. So I like it. <clears throat> Praise God. I like it here. <clears throat> Praise God. I do not feel that there's anything special about my ministry, and I really mean that. In fact, I wonder why I get invites to go places. Now, I, I'm serious with you. I was told by a former superintendent of the state of Wisconsin that when you are elected superintendent, there's something special that comes over you. And about six years ago, the brethren elected me a superintendent, and I say this very sincerely. And very honestly, I haven't felt that, I have not felt that special something. <laughs> It just hasn't it hasn't come to me. <laughs> and I keep looking around wondering where is that special feeling? <laughs> and uh, it just hasn't come to me. It really hasn't. But I'll tell you something special that has come to me. You feel it too, don't you? Praise God. You really feel it, don't you? Let's stand to our feet, if you would, at this time. Let's lift our hands and let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. There's just one thing wrong here today. Uh, and that is your building's not big enough. <laughs> and that's a good thing to be wrong, isn't it? <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. Verse 4. I don't know if I'm going to teach or preach. Uh, one lady, I was teaching in Longview, Texas, and one lady came up to me and told me, she said, she, she, got, her, she got her tongue all tangled up, you know. She was trying to tell me it was good preaching, but she thought it was teaching, so... She didn't say either one. She said, that's mighty good screeching. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I may screech today. <laughs> Praise God. Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, verse 4. The scripture says, Behold, all souls are mine. 
As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then verse 20, it's repeated again. And I'll just read the first first part of the 20th verse of chapter 18 of Ezekiel. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God bless you. you may be seated. These are very sober words. <clears throat> it's very sober because they are true. I would, however, like to tell you right away, I want to preach on this subject, the exception to the rule. The exception to the rule. This is a very simple law, and Ezekiel is prophesying to Israel concerning the original law that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis, the second chapter, verse 17. I'd like to just read this to you, and you you probably know this already. We'll read verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Now, sometimes we think that work came about as a result of sin. I hear a lot of people say, oh, this world is cursed. That's why I have to work. Now, come on, you're not that lazy. Did you know that that even before God cursed the world, man was to dress it and keep it? Really? I've heard people say, well, one thing about it, when I get to heaven, I won't have to get up and go to work. You know, I think there's something wrong with a guy who doesn't like to work. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but I just don't want to sit around all the time when I'm up in heaven, do you? I mean, that's not my, my purpose. Some people want to go to heaven just to escape responsibilities. And the truth of the matter is, as long as there is a God, there will be responsibilities. Do you know that? We shall reign as kings and priests with the Lord forever. Now our responsibilities would change, but if we be faithful in a few things, he will make us rulers over many things. So work didn't come about as a result of sin. Now there are complications with work that came about as a result of sin. But they were to dress the garden, they were to keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That was a very simple commandment. However, we know that Adam and Eve did not keep that commandment. Now there's one thing about God that I think is is just so great. And that is that that God doesn't change his mind about things every time you turn around. I think one of the most difficult things for me to deal with or cope with is someone who always changes their mind. And I've talked with people and they'd come in to explain this and they would tell me why they were doing this and and before they even got it out of their mouth they've already changed their mind about whether they should or should not do it. Have you ever dealt with people like that? And I've talked with with, uh, individuals who were uh, seemingly in opposition to something about the time you started nodding your head that yes, I agree, I agree. They changed their mind and... And you were just left hanging. You you know, what are you trying to say? So God doesn't change his mind every day. He just doesn't do that. In fact, the Bible says that all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights above, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. That God is extremely consistent. And the sooner that you make up your mind that, that you can't change God or bend God around your finger, the better off you're going to be. Did you know that if the whole world rose up and voted against God and said, we don't believe in a God, 
He wouldn't go off in a corner someplace and hide himself and cease to be. If we all voted against God, if we all voted against the Bible, and there is a big vote against God in the Bible, but I'm here to tell you, it doesn't change the real story. There is a God, and there is a Bible. And there will be a day of judgment in which every man shall stand before him. And you will change that. Now, we all may say, no, 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 no. But it will happen. It will happen. The Bible says, ye believe the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. If you look in the Old Testament, the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. Do you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a death that took place inside of them. And you will find that down through the ages, everything that God has ever said, it happened exactly like he had prophesied or stated that it would. God said that there will be a flood. God did not want to send that flood. He really didn't want to do it. But the wickedness of man was so great upon the face of the earth. And God looked down with long suffering. And as far as I can see in the Bible, the word long suffering, it means exactly what it states. It means to suffer long. A good way to pronounce it is long suffering. See, suffered long. And Noah worked on the ark and worked on the ark and worked on the ark and warned people and warned people. And God did not want to send the flood. But just as sure as God said there would be a flood, there was a flood. Now the Bible says the Lord waited. You know what long-suffering really is? It's patience plus pain. It's waiting at the same time that you're waiting. There are, there are pains. There are emotions that are so tied with those patients that it causes suffering. And God did not want to destroy the world but because that every imagination of man was nothing but evil continually. There was a time in which God says, Okay, what I said will happen, must happen now. Notice what Peter says in his epistle, the second epistle, the third chapter. The Bible says that, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the the fathers fell asleep. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, in other words, the same word of God that held everything together is holding it together now. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. See, God, time is a way of measuring duration. And so, since the fourth day of creation... The 24-hour day has been in effect. Now, I don't know how long the first day was. Now, I'm just going to give you some ideas here to get you to thinking about the way God looks at things. If Brother Davis, your pastor, teaches differently concerning the creative days, you just believe what he's saying, all right? But you see, the first day, the Bible says the evening and the morning, were the first day. From the Hebrew, the evening means a period of light, or darkness rather. And darkness preceded light. 
First there was evening, and then there was morning. The Jewish day starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. They first have their darkness, then they have their light. And they took it after the creative days. That first there was darkness and then there was light. Now how long the first day was, I don't know. But I do know this, it consisted of a period of darkness and a period of light. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the third day. So, when the fourth day rolled around, God created the heavens, or he created the, the sun and the moon to serve for times and seasons and for day and night. So the 24-hour day was established on the fourth creative day. Now, how long all those days were before, as far as the way we measure duration, I don't know. If you were to leave this planet Earth and go to the nearest planet, you will find that one calendar year and one day is not what it is here on this planet Earth. And if you go to the, to the next planet and the next planet, they all vary because they turn on their axis at a different rate of speed and they travel around the sun which is the center of our solar system on a, at a, on a different radius and they travel at different speeds so if you happen to be a person from a different planet and you came to this planet <laughs> I'm not saying there are people on other planets you would really have a, a difficult time adjusting to the planet Earth. <clears throat> but you see, God does not live just on the planet Earth. And when we get to heaven, the Bible tells us that there will be no sun nor moon. And hell is called outer darkness. And it will last forever and ever and ever. In other words, there is no way of measuring duration or time. That's what eternity is. It's taking the sun and taking the moon and taking everything away. And God just lets everything go as it is. No time. No way of measuring duration. Now see, when we look at present situations, we say, I made this appointment. He said he would be here at 1. It's 1.15. Now if you're waiting, you're better off to forget about the clock. Because the clock can be such a curse when you're waiting. Really. You, you wait and you say, my, five minutes. And you wait an hour and you look, and it's ten minutes later. I said, oh, dear me. And you wait another hour and it's only ten minutes later. <clears throat> now, there's one thing that I consider the most unproductive thing in the world, and that is waiting. I just hate waiting. Now, I'm not a very hyper person. I can sit in one place all day long. If I can occupy myself with reading or such. And I don't have to be running to and fro all the time. But I hate to be held up in such a frivolous little matter of just waiting on somebody who just lost their clock or don't care. That's one of my pet peeves, really. I tell the young men of our church, if you tell me one, it's one. You know, in other words, make it on time. And so here's God that said, there will be a flood. But somehow man got the, got the idea, well, we haven't seen a flood. So I guess there won't be a flood. 
not too long ago, and I tell this on my wife's kind of a humorous thing. I said, I was really busy. I said, look, I need supper at 5 o'clock. So, okay. so I come in at 6 and supper's not ready. I said, hon, where's supper? She said, you said you were going to be here at 5. I said, now wait a minute. There's something wrong with that. <laughs> you know, now wait. <laughs> I said, you got me all Bless your heart, but look, you know, so I'm late. But you didn't know that I was going to be late, and you're using for an excuse that supper's not ready because I said I was going to be. But you notice what he's saying. <clears throat> he said, God doesn't measure time like you measure time. And he goes on in verse 9 to say, But the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. In other words, you say that everything continues as they are, but do you know why they do that? Because God loves and because God cares. See? <clears throat> but basically when he says something, it will happen the way that he said. It will happen. And the good thing about God is that he's not changing all time. Keeping you guessing. The word of the Lord is sure. And you will find that it is established and the Bible tells us that it's so established that heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word will always stand. The Bible also tells us in 1 Kings the 8th chapter verse 56 that God always keeps his promises. In 2 Corinthians the 1st chapter verse 20, the Bible says the promises of God are yea and they are amen. Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 4, talks of the, the, the positive promises of God, that they are exceedingly great and they are precious. You can always depend on them. Jesus, when he was here, he taught us to let our yeas be yeas and let our nays be nays. That simply means that there is a time when you need to make up your mind. And the best vocabulary for Christians sometimes is yes and no. In other words, we need to know exactly what we stand for and we need to stand for. Now, the word of the Lord then tells us that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And if God is consistent, and if God expects us to mean yes when we say yes and no when we say no, then... This poses a little problem in my thinking. And I want to go into that situation with you, and then we'll look at the solution. Paul writes about this in Romans 1. He goes then in Romans 2, and he begins to, uh, to give us a line of logic. He said, now to the Jews were given the oracles of God. He said the problem with the Jewish nation was that, that after a while they just took it for granted, they took it so lightly that they just forgot about the oracles of God. Now he said, the Gentiles did not have the written word of the Lord, the oracles of God. They, however, by nature, did the things contained in the law. And it became a law unto them. Now that simply means man was made in the likeness and the image of God. And even... Nations who knew nothing about the word of the Lord. Something inside of that man told him it was wrong to kill. And something told him it was wrong to steal. And there have been many governments that have been established in which the Bible played a very minor role. 
But they set guidelines according to right and wrong as dictated by their conscience. And their conscience serves as a law to them. Now, Paul goes on to say, the big problem is this, that the Jews who had it in writing and the Gentiles who had it in their conscience both fail God in this respect, that these closed their Bibles and these seared their conscience. So then in Romans, the third chapter, verse 19, he says, Now concerning man, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Now what law is he talking about here? He's talking about the law that they actually had, whether it be the oracles of God or that law that nature gave them. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And he goes on to write. He says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, God's not going to look at the Jew any differently than he looks at the Gentile. Because they all sinned. They all violated the law, whether it was the written law or the law that God put in them when he made man in his own likeness and his own image. So, we got a problem. Everybody has sinned, and the word of the Lord says, The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now, knowing that God is a God who does not change his mind every day and knowing that when God opens his mouth and says something that it has to be that way and knowing that he said the soul that sinneth it shall surely die and all of you plus all of your ancestors have sinned then there doesn't appear to be much hope for me or for you or for those who have passed on before me and those who will follow me. Because the word of the Lord says, The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Now there was one who came into the world, his name was Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 4, the Bible says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now the fullness of time, as far as I can see, this business of time, uh, it intrigues me. But the fullness of time is not talking about a particular set time on the calendar or on the clock. But the fullness of time is making reference to conditions and that simply means that when the world could absolutely no longer exist again without God looking down upon the human race with disgust and saying again that I must destroy mankind because of his iniquity. When man could no longer live because of his iniquity, when the condition was ripe, when he was ready for judgment, God looked down and said, something has to be done about this situation. But this time, he himself chose to come down and intervene to seek and to save that which was lost. And knowing that sin had already been judged by God 
And knowing that every man that sinned could not stand in the presence of the Lord but be cast into outer darkness, hell which is made for the devil and his angels, and knowing that all of us had sinned and we would be cast into outer darkness, Jesus Christ came down to do something for us. Now one important thing that Jesus did when he came down, he started instructing people about the mercies of the Lord. He began to talk to people about how good God was. Because a lot of people had developed this attitude that God was mean and God was ugly and God wanted to zap everybody out and God did not care. Because they had seen so many things that God had done as a result of man's iniquity. And you know, there's a lot of people today that feel that same way about God. And they feel that way about the Bible. You'd be surprised at the people that feel that the Bible is a book that's written by God to man to make God happy. So if I live according to the good book, so to speak, I'm going to bring great joy to God. Have you ever heard people say that? I think he's disappointed in me. He's probably sad today because of what I did last night. You ever heard people say that? The Bible was not written for God. The Bible was written for man. And the truth of the matter is, when you sin, you suffer. When you don't live up to the book, see, this is the manual of life. You go buy a new car and they have a, an owner's manual. Now you, you, you just forget about that owner's manual. And you don't keep the car greased. Don't change the oil. Don't do anything to it. See how long it's going to last you. See? you got to follow that manual. And this is the manual of life. God gave us this book, not for His benefit, but for our benefit. I was in a carpet shop. We're building a new building. I was in a carpet shop and some carpet layers came in and, and we were negotiating a price to get carpet laid in the building. And without the young man thinking, he just let out a big, big, bad word. And then he looked at me and says, I'm sorry, preacher, I didn't mean to hurt you. <clears throat> I said, now wait a minute. I said, you didn't hurt me. You mean my swearing doesn't hurt me? I said, well, no. He said, it's all right to swear around you? I said, I didn't say that. I said, it didn't hurt me. You see, your swearing doesn't bother me. You know, if all that stuff bothered me, I'd be in bad shape. <clears throat> I mean, every time I turn around, somebody's got a balloon box playing acid rock someplace. Going to the... Going to the Air terminals and places. I also made a trip downtown. And if all those bad places bothered me, my friend, I'd be in bad shape. I never saw such filth and iniquity and such. So you, he said, well, what do you mean my swearing doesn't bother you? Is it all right to swear? I didn't, I didn't say that. I said, when, you're swear, when you swear, see, you don't hurt me, you hurt yourself. Now, I was kind to him. It just so happened there wasn't many people there. And so he, you know, he was very sincere when he, he got right down and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, you know. You didn't hurt me, you hurt yourself. And that's what happens when you don't live up to the words of the Bible. Well, if I don't do this, Brother Davis is going to be unhappy. If I don't do this, then, then my mother's not going to like it. I'm going to disappoint a lot of people. Oh yeah, you may disappoint a lot of people, but the truth of the matter is, when you sin, you're the one that's going to be disappointed. When you sin, you're the one that's going to be unhappy. And so man had this idea that God's book and God's law was designed by God to make God happy. But I want to be happy. 
also. So I think I'm going to ignore God and turn my back on God and go out and do what I want to do. So that both God and me can be happy. But, but see, that's not, that's not the way it works. Somebody gets, some people have this idea that, you know, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. You ever heard that? Well, my friend, the Bible tells me the way of the transgressor is a hard way. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. He said, for my yoke is easy. He said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And the way of the transgressor is the hard way. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. But when Jesus came upon the scene, Jesus came with one mission in mind, and that is he came to inform God, or man, of the true nature of God, for he was God personified. He was the invisible God walking among men. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among men. So he came to, to give to man the true nature of God. Now I'd like for you, if you would, to take your Bibles and let's take a little peep in the book of Luke. When Jesus was here, he began to preach the kingdom of God. And in Luke, the 13th chapter, Jesus begins to talk to a group of people. And in verse 3, this is what he says. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Listen, I've combed carefully through the pages of the Bible. There are very few times that God ever changed his mind. But there are some exceptions. Where the soul of man is at stake, God looks down and he says, I'm going to change my mind about something. Now, somebody's got to die because I said that somebody has to die. But he said, now, this is what it's going to be. Okay? All of you have sinned. Now, I'm going to make an exception to that original law if you will repent. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to ascend to the lower parts of the earth. And I'll do this for you if you'll repent of your sins. Now I've been explaining mercy and talking about mercy and bringing to you the the nature and the character of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself. They looked upon him as being a mere man. He said, it's not that way. For my words are spirit and they are life. I want to show you another side of God. Do you know why that God waited in the days of Noah? Not just to collect a whole lot of people that were in sin. But he waited, not willing that any should perish. My dear friend, God does not want one soul to die lost and go into eternity without Him. See, when God made you in the image and the likeness of Himself, my friend, He breathed into your nostrils a breath of life and you became a living soul. When Paul talks to the, to the people on Mars Hill in Acts the 17th chapter, he said, for we are the offsprings of God. That simply means there is an element of God in us that is eternal. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, he said. In other words, don't go to hell because of an eye that's lustful. You'd be better off to walk upon the face of the earth and then die and go to heaven with one eye than to go into hell with two. For what would it profit a man, he said, if a man shall gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Or what should a man give 
in exchange for his soul. And my friend, the only reason why that God even considering considered changing his mind about the original law, the soul that sinners should surely die, is because that your soul is so valuable and so precious and so great. And God looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and decided that he would spare the city only because of the salvation of the righteous. And the only time that I can find in the Bible in which God ever even considered changing his yeas to nays is when someone's soul was at stake. So except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then there was a man who slipped through the darkness of the night and came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do? And Jesus carried the story a little bit further. And he told a man by the name of Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he can not. Now notice, he stopped the exception. Cannot, C-A-N-N-O-T, has no loopholes in it. So when Peter, who had the keys to the kingdom of God, stood on the day of Pentecost and preached in Acts 2.38. Let's just turn there. Maybe there's someone here that's never read this scripture. This was the establishing of the New Testament church. Peter had preached Jesus Christ to them. The gospels, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And after they had heard the gospel preached, they came unto Peter. They were pricked in their hearts. In other words, they were convicted in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, God has talked to us. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take our place. He became sin for us. He died for us. There was a debt that I could not pay because the word of the Lord said the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And he took my place. Now what am I supposed to do about this? Then Peter said unto them, Acts 2, verse 38, Repent. That's part of the exception. And be baptized, every one of you. That's part of the exception that he gave to Nicodemus. In the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the completion of the exception. And so today, friend of mine, if you have never repented of your sins, if you have never gone down in the watery grave, of baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and if you've never been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost there is no way that you can walk in the presence of God forever and forever and forever but thank God for the exception to the original rule the soul that sinneth shall surely die I was guilty and you were guilty but Jesus Christ came my way one day and informed me that he had taken my place and paid the penalty now all you have to do is repent all you have to do is be baptized in my name you want to be associated with that death? Then you take on the name of him who took your place. Oh, God. He took my place. The truth of the matter is when he hung upon the cross... 
And when he spoke those Hebrew words, Eli, Eli, lama sabathani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That should have been my cry. That should have been my plea. I should have been nailed there because the, the law of God stated the soul that sinneth shall surely die. But Jesus made an escape for me. He made an exception for me. Except you repent. Except you be born of water. Except you be born of spirit. Ye cannot the completion of the exception. We won't go beyond that, God says. But I'll go that far. Just because I care. Would you stand with me at this time? Oh, God. Listen to Psalm 78, verse 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. Why? Because they repented of their sins. On both sides of the pulpit where I stand there is a place for you to come and repent. On both sides of this pulpit this church has constructed an area where you can come and bend your knees and pour out your heart to God. I'm quite sure that throughout this building there are Christian workers who'd be glad to come and assist you, counsel with you, pray with you, because they care. They care. I'm going to turn the service back to the pastor. You feel free to come and give your heart to God. Please do that today. Please don't delay. Because, my friend, if you don't, you may vote against it, but it's going to happen anyway. You may say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And after all, there's too many people on the devil's side, my friend. We could all say thumbs down on God, but it won't change the story at all. Bless the Lord, Bless the Lord.